John 18 this morning. And I'm going to read uh, not so many verses this, this uh, time around. I'm going to read down through the 14th verse. So if you would all stand with me, please, for the reading of Scripture. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing that all things would happen to him, uh, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he, or I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him, them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none, not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The name of the, the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we've been preaching here, Christ has come to his hour toward which his entire life was directed. So we read there in chapter 12 and verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what we have here is the fact that he deliberately walked into the trap that was set before uh, set for him. This was all part of the spiritual battle that was begun in the Garden of Eden with the fall of Adam. Jesus understood the plan of God in the struggle. And now as the seed of the woman, he would crush the serpent's head. But in the process, his own heel would be crushed on the cross. John details the events of that night when the enemy, led by Satan, pursued the death of the Son of Man. In describing these events, John deliberately contrasts two disciples, showing their part in the Lord's hour. The behavior of both Judas and Peter was already predicted by Jesus. This is the interesting part. He had already stated what, was, what, what they would be doing. The uh, outcome then of their actions 
of Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial had, although very different consequences, very different ends and outcomes, both personally and uh, in Christ's situation here. Peter was divinely rescued and restored, whereas Judas was abandoned and eternally condemned. So in this message, we want to look here at both of these disciples and their part in this final hour. Now, the setting here again is when a cohort of soldiers, a cohort, that's the Greek word there for a band, it's translated band here in my English translation, a cohort usually was 600 men. I, I find it difficult to imagine 600 men coming out to arrest Jesus, but uh, it says a cohort. <laughs> so it was, whether it was a full 600 or not, it doesn't matter. It was a large group of soldiers, that, and these would be Roman soldiers that were stationed in Jerusalem. And then it says also, it says a band of temple guards. So how many there were there, I do not know, but it, when you read that, it, it, it says uh, that uh, they came out with uh, swords and weapons and torches and lanterns, and, and uh, John seems to indicate a, a very large number of people to, to arrest Jesus. I mean, he was a real threat to them. A real threat. And so he met them with this. If you seek me, let these men go. He's referring to the disciples that were with him. And John then further explains, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Now I want to point out something here, how important this statement was and how it expresses here the, the person of Jesus Christ in this. We read it and, and we read the, the words here, but I, do you understand the importance of these words? that John uses to explain this. Let these men go. And John says, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, the logos that he had spoken. Jesus' words were have to be regarded as the very word of God. When he spoke that, it was the word of God that was spoken. And what it refers to is what he said said in his high priestly prayer just a couple of chapters before this. He prayed, I, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except... For this, except the son of destruction. Now that's an interesting phrase, and it was even understood by the Greeks, and that, that little phrase there, to be 
one appointed to the destruction of eternal hell. He was appointed to the destruction of eternal hell. And obviously the reference there was to Judas Iscariot. And then he said he had prayed there in order that the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, might be fulfilled. See how these things tie together? So Judas was here, was controlled by the evil one himself. I mean, Satan didn't leave it to his little companions or to our own sinful nature. You know, oftentimes people say, uh, uh, well, the, the devil made me do it. Well, probably the devil had nothing to do with it. Your own sinful wickedness made you do it. Your own fallen nature caused you to do it. But in this case, Satan himself steps up to the plate. And that's why Jesus prayed that his own be kept from the evil one. Jesus knew all about it. This is what we see played out here in the rest of the king. So let's look at it. First of all, I want, to, I want you to, to uh, consider this man Judas. Who was he? he was the, he's the betrayer. Who was he anyway? Judas Iscariot. Judas. That's a common name. It's like John, you know, in our, our English culture there. John or, or some ordinary common name. Judas. And it relates to the fact of his uh, being from the tribe of Judah. Judas, the son of Judah. Very common name there in the first century Judaism. But Iscariot, the term Iscariot, is a little more difficult to identify. It may refer to the region of his, of his origin. Judah from Iscariot. Judah, Judas from Iscariot. Uh, wherever, whatever Iscariot was, we have no clue. We really do not know. And, and if that is the reference, and I think that is likely to be the case... We, do, uh, we have no certainty where it, where, where it was. But some have suggested that Iscariot is derived from an Aramaic word which means assassin or bandit. I find that a little difficult. And for chiefly this reason, here's my, argue, my argument against it, is the fact that his father is also known as Iscariot. Say in John 13, verse 26, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So some have suggested then that this man, Judas, stands for a sim symbol. He's a symbolic, not, not that he's not real. I mean, obviously he's a real person. But, he, but uh, there's also some symbolic uh, connection to, to him in the fact that it is the people of Judah who were rejecting Jesus. The very people he's named after are the principal rejecters of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether there's some validity or not to this observation, one cannot but puzzle over this man Chosen by the Lord 
to be one of his closest followers. Judas walked with Jesus. He knew him. He heard his words. He saw his signs. How could he then in the end reject and betray him to the enemy? Well, I tell you what, I have, in my experience as a Christian and, a, and, and as a pastor, watched many people who professed to love Jesus Christ slap him in the face and walk away and refuse to submit and obey him. And yet expect that he's going to take them to heaven when they die. John's first mention of Judas's treachery is found there in John chapter 6, which I think is interesting there, uh, because chapter 6 really is, is the point in the, in the Gospel of John where this all really comes to a head. He's fed the 5,000. Uh, he's been in the wilderness there. He's been teaching them. He's had large crowds of people following him. And they've wanted to make him king. But he deliberately gave them a sermon that, uh, that they found hard to accept. We're told there that uh, it was a very hard saying. And so many of them turned back no longer to follow him, according to chapter, verse 66 of that. And part of it was the fact that no one can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. So in response, Jesus then turned to the twelve and he asked them, do you want to go away as well? That's verse 67. Peter answered, Lord, now notice it's Peter here again, who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And here, here again, it's, this, this is the Greek word rhema, which uh, equals the Old Testament Torah, instruction. You have the instruction of eternal life. We, we don't want to go into anybody. We want to listen to you. You're telling us what, what eternal life is all about. You have that instruction. So then to this Jesus replied, Do you not, uh, did I not choose you, the twelve? Just in case Peter gets a big head about what he knows. And, and Jesus is going to remind him, Hey, Peter, and all the rest of you, I'm the one who chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And yet, one of you is a devil. <laughs> one of you is a devil. That's verse 70. So then John explains. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. John wanted to make it clear to the reader. He did not choose Judas, just hoping Judas would follow him to the end and then disappoint him. You know, a lot of people get that idea. 
Jesus chose him. And he was he had big hopes for Judas, but Judas let him down. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas was a devil, and he chose him anyway. But he was never one of the elect. When Jesus washed the feet of the disciples there in the 13th chapter, he again made it clear that Judas was not cleansed of his sins. Speaking to Peter, who had first refused, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. That, that's, that would be beneath your dignity. You are the teacher. You're the Lord. You're not, the, you don't do that. That's for the, that's for the slaves. To wash feet. And Jesus said to him. If, if I don't wash your feet. I have no, you, you have no part with me. Well then Peter changed his mind. And he said okay Lord. Then my feet. My hands and my head also. Give me a bath. To which then Jesus said. No. You don't need a bath. Just your feet. Which I think tells us that we need to be constantly confessing sins during our lifetime and we need a constant cleansing, but we are already clean with the Lord. We just need to have our feet washed every once in a while because we're walking through the filth of this world. But Jesus also said, you are all clean. Yeah, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So again, he's, he's telling us. And then John explains, for he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. That's John 13, 10 and 11. So Judas was never cleansed of his sins. He didn't fall away from Christ. He didn't, he didn't apostatize. He, ne he never belonged to Christ. But he was there because God was going to use him in this horrible deed of betrayal. Sadly, there are many who follow Jesus for whatever reason, but are not truly one of his. And these usually fall away like those in John 6 who could never accept the truth. John warns of those in his first letter. These went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us. First John chapter 2, verse 19. That brings us to this. Judas is mentioned in the Old Testament. He fulfills prophecy. Jesus revealed this there in John 13, verses 18 and 21. I am not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. And then he cites here Psalm 41 verse 9. He who ate bread has lifted up his heel against me. And after saying 
these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now the psalm is specifically fulfilled as Jesus took the bread and gave it to Peter, I mean to, to Judas. It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. John thirteen twenty six. Then Jesus handed the morsel to him, and he said, What you are going to do, do quickly. Verse 27. Immediately, Satan entered Judas's heart, and he went out to find the priests to make a deal. I think it's also interesting that Judas was not present with them when he instituted the Lord's table. Jesus made sure he was gone. Obviously, though uh, Judas was a good actor, the disciples had no hint of his evil nature. When Jesus said that one of them would betray him, they began to question themselves and saying, Lord, is it I? Even though he had already made it very clear to them who it was. Which one of them was going to do this? And even though uh, he, he had told them earlier, it's the one to whom I give the bread. Somehow they didn't, see, they didn't put that together either. So John wrote, now no one at the table knew why he said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. John says, they didn't know what he said to them, but they supposed that because he was the one who kept the money bag, Jesus was telling him, go buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. <laughs> there in John 13, 28 and 29. So either these men were not very observant, and I can't believe that, or that the Lord deliberately hid Judas's character from them. And I think that's the case. He could do that. So the next question is, why then did, did the Jews need Judas to betray Jesus? Why? Couldn't they just Grab him and arrest him themselves? Well, here it, there, there, is some, there is a complication here. And the, and the complication is that Jesus taught the people publicly. And whenever he did so, there were large crowds. Some accepting him, some rejecting him. And although the Jews wanted to arrest him, they feared the people. They, all the people regarded him as a prophet. So they said, no, nah, we're not going to do this. That's Matthew twenty one forty six, And then when uh, they hoped to get him alone, he just vanished from there. He just disappeared. They couldn't find him. So again, they sought to arrest him and he escaped from their hands, John 10, 39. So they needed someone who could lead them to where Jesus was when he was alone. It should also be asked, what provoked Judas to betray Jesus? 
John gives us this information in the 12th chapter. After Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, his sisters gave a dinner for him then in Bethany some six days before the Passover. And during this meal, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment. It was worth a year's wages. And she just poured it out on Jesus' feet and then began to wipe them with the hairs of her head. And when Judas saw it, he protested. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given? It's a year's wages. 300 denarii. A denarii is a day's wages, so 300 days. And given to the poor. And then John tells us, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. It was a strong rebuke. It was a very strong rebuke in the Greek. Let her alone. For the poor you have with you, always with you. And and I really think what he was saying there was, uh, you Judas, you know better. It's not, you don't care about the poor at all. You just, you just want the money. The poor you have all, with you always, but you do not always have me. That's John chapter 12, verses 5 to 8. Judas didn't really care about the poor. He was a thief. And now he knew that Jesus found him out. Matthew wrote that after this rebuke, one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. If he wasn't going to get the money from the sale of the ointment, he was going to get it by betraying Jesus. I kind of think that's what went on in his head. So then what became of Judas after he betrayed Jesus? Matthew's account of Judas' regret is uh, for his betrayal here in uh, Matthew 27. Listen to, listen to these words. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. Condemned to death. I don't know what Judas was thinking, Maybe get a slap on the wrist or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe a lecture. <laughs> but no. When, he, when uh, he saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Now it sounds like a repentance and a confession. He wants to get things right. Did he really? 
or did he just find himself in an awkward position and tried to, tried to use the best means to clear himself? They said, what is that to us? See, to, see to it yourself. And throwing down the, the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. See the corruption in these men's wicked hearts. Uh, we can't take this money now. <laughs> this, this money won't honor God anymore. It never did honor God. So they took counsel and bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. That's, and to me, that's interesting. Judas, they bought a, a cemetery to bury strangers with the money that Judas returned. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a uh, uh, on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them to the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now here, now here we got another problem. <laughs> it wasn't Jeremiah that said those words. It was Zechariah. Zechariah chapter eleven, verses twelve and thirteen. Did Matthew make a mistake in citing Jeremiah? You know, you're going to have people that come to you and say, yeah, this Bible's full of contradictions, and here, I'll show you one. Zechariah said this, not Jeremiah, but Matthew got it wrong. Well, you say, well, yeah, it could have been, a, you know, it could have been a uh, manuscript mistake. No, the best manuscripts we have have Matthew saying it was Jeremiah. So what, it, what, what, how do we take this? Hmm? Well, let me, ex let me give, give you the explanation. The, the, and I really believe this is the best ex explanation. It was typical of New Testament writers in their citation from the book, from the Old Testament, to cite from the law the prophets, or the writings. Jesus cited from the law, the prophets, and the writings. There were three books of the Old Testament. The books of the law, Moses, the books of the prophets, and the first prophet in the book is Jeremiah. So when he said he's citing from Jeremiah, he really means I'm citing from the prophets. Jeremiah being the first prophet cited. Peter also gave an account which seems to contradict Matthew. And I'm going to read that here in, it says, brothers, and this is from Acts chapter 1. Brothers, uh, beginning with verse 16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. 
for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of, wicked, of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the, in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as, uh, the, uh, as called in their language, a keldamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms. And here, here he's citing from Psalm 69, 25. May his camp become desolate and let another one, uh, let, and let there be no one to dwell in it. So here, here again, the psalm, a psalm is fulfilled. The place where Judas hanged himself and say, well, how did he, it says, Peter said he fell headlong and burst asunder. Well, I, I can understand that. He hung himself and then his body fell, <laughs> burst. Peter here tells us why it was called the field of blood. Because blood was everywhere. And the people said, we don't want this place anymore. This is a bloody field. So they, it became a cemetery for the stranger. There's no contradiction. Just a little more detail, that's all. No, so then how can Judas, and here's, I'm going to get to this, how can Judas be faulted if his betrayal led to the fulfillment of God's will for Jesus to die on the cross? If Jesus, if Jesus knew the character and evil nature of Judas, why did he choose him to be one of the twelve? Jesus said of him, For the Son of Man goes as it was written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better if for that man if he had never been born. Mark chapter 14, verse 21. Was Judas appointed for eternal destruction by God before his birth? Yeah, I would say so. And how is that fair to Judas? This is... This issue of fairness will be treated in the application of this message. Both Judas and Peter are guilty of terrible sin against Jesus. Judas' betrayed, betrayal ended in suicide and in his being condemned forever to eternal punishment. Peter, on the other hand, was forgiven and restored. So let's look at Peter here briefly. After the Passover supper in the upper room, Jesus revealed that all his disciples would desert him. All of you will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, and here he's quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 17, I will scatter the, strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. That's Matthew 26, 31 and 32. Peter then protested, though all they, he's referring to the other disciples, if all those guys fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Oh boy. A little pride stepping in there. And then Jesus informed him that before the night was over, he would deny the Lord three times in verse 33. And again, Peter protested, even if I die with you, I will not deny you. 
And all the disciples said the same. They all chimed in. This is a pride issue. Peter had, a, had a pridefully asserted his loyalty to Jesus, even to prison and death. And Luke addresses this self-confidence. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. When Jesus then informed him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan. Ah, the old serpent has stepped in again. Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's Luke 22, 31 and 33 to 33. So there's two, two observations here. First, Satan personally worked in both Judas and Peter to bring the Son of Man to the cross. Satan is wrongly, as I said, blamed by things that are of our own nature. But however, in this case, Scripture plainly and clearly blames Satan for the behavior of both. Judas and Peter. Second, Peter, unlike Judas, was truly one of Christ's own, as is evident from the fact that Jesus prayed for him to preserve his faith. Aren't you happy for that? Think about that. We sin. We mess up all the time. We're constantly falling on our face. The difference between us and those who have never been born again is that we have a Savior that prays for us. And He prays that our faith is preserved. And He will make an effort to bring us back. See, pride drove both Peter and Judas to do what they did. But Jesus personally pursued Peter and restored him to fellowship after destroying his pride. And that's documented in chapter 21. We won't take time for that now. Peter, realizing his horrible betrayal when the rooster crowed, repented. The scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. He recognized what he did. Judas, on the other hand, committed suicide. The prideful and cowardly escape from personal responsibility. Suicide is the ultimate rebellion against God. It's the ultimate expression of pride. I'm in control of my own life and my own death. No, your days are in God's hands, written on God's calendar. In spite of Jesus' assurance that he would return, Peter knew that he had failed, but wrongly assumed this failure ended his youthfulness to Christ and his kingdom. Although he sought to return to his previous occupation, Jesus confronted him and renewed his will for Peter. You know, isn't that, a, isn't that encouragement? Right, you can mess up, 
But if you really belong to Jesus, He's going after you. He'll go after you. And we won't, He won't let you do what you want to do. Very early on in Peter's... In fact, when God first called Peter into his, uh, to follow Him, Christ called him. There in Matthew, there in chapter 4, verse 19, he said to them, to these fishermen, after they had just taken this great catch of fish, he told them, you follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and followed him. Now on the shores of this same Sea of Galilee, Jesus renewed his commission. Do you love me, Peter? Then follow me. And feed my sheep. Peter loved his Lord and proved it so in his obedience. Which you can read in the books of Acts. So John, following this recommissioning of Peter, there's an interesting detail in chapter 21, verses 20 and 21. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom the Lord loved following him. That's John. The one who had leaned on back on him during the supper and it said, Lord, is it who is it that is going to betray you? Isn't that interesting how John brings that connection right in there? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow You follow me. Oh, I like that. Here's, here's great advice. Each one is obligated to follow Jesus no matter what others may do. Had Peter abandoned his pride and humbly followed Jesus, he would never have denied him. The very thing that would have protected him in the temptation was already given to him by Jesus that night when they went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He told them, he commanded them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Our, fall, our falling down and our foolishness is due to our lack of watching and praying. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41. Let me close with an application here. Was it fair that Jesus allowed Judas to descend into eternal damnation, but rescued Peter from the same fate? In the infinite wisdom of God, who is the supreme good? Is at play here. Abraham said this concerning his intercession for Lot way back there in Genesis 18, verse 25. Be it far from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, for that, for that, the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Lord, you're not going to allow Lot to be burned alive with the wicked men of Sodom, are you? That wouldn't be right, would it? You're the... And then he said, For the, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And he did. Lot was spared.
in the doctrine of election, fairness is always pushed to deny this clear biblical truth. That God elects some and leaves the others to themselves. That's not fair! I've heard that so many times. But here's the, here's the fact. Every child of Adam is a sinner and every sinner is a son of destruction. And it's only the gracious intervention of God that makes the difference. Grace none deserve, but gloriously makes the difference in many who would otherwise perish. No one's rights, no one's rights are harmed since all are already justly condemned. I, I saw this on Monergism's Facebook page. When you ask an Arminian friend if it would be just if God left us all to our, in our sin and saved no one, most answer, yes, we are sinners and justly deserve God's wrath. But then turn around and ask if God decided to pardon a number of these ill-deserving sinners but gave the rest over to the justice they deserved, these same people cry out, that would make God unfair. Yet, how can the former be okay in their eyes and not the latter? Does not God have the right to do what he wants with his grace? Are not those rebels getting their just desserts? And if he were somehow obligated to give it to all, it would no longer be grace now, would it? Remember, we indiscriminately cast the seed of the gospel. And we do. We tell everybody the gospel. We sow it to everyone. And God is holding no one back from believing. Whoever believes will be saved. He, God holds no one back from believing. The problem is they will not have Christ to reign over them. Yet God still has mercy on many such rebels, giving them eyes to see, ears to hear, and a new heart to believe. And I say amen. That was on, man, that was recently, October 11, 22. Father, I thank you for the word, for this, this great truth. And Lord, your gracious work in the life of Peter in saving him and restoring him to usefulness even after his horrible failure. Father, that encourages our own hearts. And I pray for everyone here who has heard this message that they can hear it and understand it and give glory to God for all things. And not question you Lord. But trust you. And we'll praise you in Jesus name.